Welcome back, everybody. Well, will the new creation to come resemble this creation as we know it? Will we recognize uh, mountain ranges and locations of cities? Will we recognize metropolitan skylines? Will we uh, depend in the new creation on similar technologies like jets and cars? And will we live in houses that resemble what we think of as houses today? Or is everything going to be dissimilar in the new creation? This is always a really great question on the discontinuity and continuity of what we can expect in the new creation. Today, the question comes into us from a podcast listener named Zach. Pastor John, hello, and thank you for this podcast. As I continue to read scripture, particularly about the events to come, I tend to get confused. I don't really understand what's meant by the new heavens and new earth. My confusion boils down to this. Will the new creation look a lot different than this world looks like right now? Or will it be very similar when the sin and sorrow is gone? What can we expect to see? As I read the New Testament, indeed the whole Bible, it seems to me that we are encouraged on the one hand to believe that the age to come, beyond death, beyond this fallen world, there will be enough overlap with our present experience of creation and of God that we should hope for a sweet sense of sinless familiarity. Mm. That's, that's one emphasis I see. But on the other hand, we are confronted in the Bible with inevitable dimensions of a future that are unknown, really unknown. The unknowns of what those joys will be like beyond our present capacities to experience and to imagine. In other words, the Bible requires us not only to live by faith right now rather than by sight, but also requires us to die by faith rather than by sight. Hmm. Great faith, at least I feel this, great faith will be needed in that hour of death, so that the unknown dimensions of life beyond this life will not feel terrifying. God clearly, I mean, just think of it, God clearly does not want his children to be terrified at the prospect of entering into the fullness of their inheritance. Yeah. <laughs> That's a no-brainer. <laughs> and yet, and yet, how natural it is to tremble at such a vast, never-ending, infinite unknown. So we will need great faith when we put our foot in the river for the final crossing. Now, the Bible is not silent about these things. There are so many wonderful passages where God is helping us rejoice in hope and be confident in the hour of moving from this known world to that largely unknown world. So let me point to a few passages that get at this both and, the expectation of familiarity and the expectation of the unknown. So first, God wants us to know that we will be raised bodily from the dead. Romans 8.11, if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will 
also give life to your mortal bodies. Now, that's real continuity. <laughs> that's not like I'm going to make up a new body. Yeah. That's real, your mortal body through his spirit who dwells in you. Now, what will life be like in these new resurrection bodies, which are our mortal bodies? And Jesus gave a pointer uh, in Matthew twenty-two thirty. In the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. Hmm. There will be radically new dimensions of love and joy that make the sweetest, deepest married love seem like child's play. For those of us who've been married happily for 50 years, that's pretty hard to imagine. Noelle, where did you go? Well, she won't disappear. No. It's impossible for us to imagine. That's why I talk about the unknown. Like, okay, no marriage, like angels. That sounds good because you're a good God and something better will be offered. But what? Now, when when Paul was pressed about what kind of body we would have when we are raised, he said, this is 1 Corinthians 15, 42, so is it with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. What is sown in dishonor is raised in glory. What is sown in weakness is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a hmm, spiritual body. What in the world? If, if there is a natural body, there is a spiritual body body. So, imperishable bodies, glorious bodies, powerful bodies, spiritual bodies. Who knows what a spiritual body is? The closest glimpse we get is the resurrection body of Jesus. He ate fish to prove to his disciples that he's not a ghost or a spirit, and yet he came and went, it seems, in ways that defy the ordinary categories of space and time. This is what I I mean by the combination of familiar, like eat fish, and unknown. Where did he go? How did he get here? That's something of the paradox of our spiritual bodies, our resurrection bodies. One of the greatest hopes we have beyond the physical body is to sin no more. Displease the Lord never, never again. Oh, what a glorious freedom of conscience that will be. And to make it even better, John tells us that the basis of this new sinlessness that's coming will be the sight of Jesus himself. Remember that from 1 John 3, 2? We know that when he appears, we will be like him. So there goes all the sin because we will see him as he is. It's a double blessing of, there he is, face to face, Jesus, and whammo, there goes all the sin at the sight of Jesus. What a glorious prospect. And when we, when we turn our attention to the kind of world, as Zach is asking about maybe even more specifically, world in which we sinless, imperishable, glorious powerful, spiritual, embodied people will live, Paul answers, 
that we're going to live in a world perfectly suited to our new freedom from sin and from perishable, dishonorable, weak bodies. Here's, what, here's the way he put it in Romans 8, 20. God subjected the creation to its present corruption and futility in hope that the creation itself would be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain, this is the amazing part, obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. In other words, we don't get adapted to the new heavens and the new earth so much as they get adapted to us. The creation obtains the freedom of the glory of the children of God, from which I think we should infer a very precious familiarity because he talks about setting the old creation free for us. Now, sometimes this new world is described so radically new that we wonder if there could be anything recognizable in it at all. For example, Second Peter 3, 10 following says, the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away, pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be, two different translations, one says exposed, another says burned. The heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Now, if that were the only passage in the Bible on the future of this world, we might think, well, I guess the heavens are just going to go away. They're going to pass away, and there won't be any continuity at all with the world that we live in and this world. But here's another picture from Revelation 21. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down, coming down, that is to earth, out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, that's us, the church, for her husband, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. Man, having come down, the, the bride of Christ, the church, coming down to earth. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. We're happy to have such former things pass away like crying and pain. But what about sun and moon? I mean, thousands of poems of joy have been written about the sun and the moon. They're beautiful. I love sunsets and sunrises. The thought of not having sunsets and sunrises strikes me as boring. And yet Revelation 22.5 says, Night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun. For the Lord God will be their light. They will reign forever and ever. Now, I think this is a good example to end with. I must ask myself, as a, a lover of the moon and a lover of sunrises and sunsets, will I be disappointed in heaven, in the new earth, at the absence of sun and moon as we know them? And my answer is no. 
And there are two reasons why I, why John Piper, lover of sunrises, lover of sunsets, say, no, I won't be disappointed. The first answer is that the point of Revelation 22.5 was not that something was taken away, but that something infinitely better was given to me that makes the other, literally, by comparison, literally as nothing. They might be there, but they're not going to be what they once were because the Lord God will be their light, and we're not going to be disappointed with that new kind of light. And the other reason I'm not going to be disappointed is this. God promised in Psalm 8411, the Lord God is a sun and shield, the Lord bestows favor and honor, no good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Now, if that's true now on the earth, no good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly, and it most certainly is true, then how much more will that be true on the new earth? Nothing will be withheld from those who walk uprightly, and that's all we'll do there is walk uprightly. So from that, I infer this closing principle. Whatever we love rightly in this world will either be perfected and preserved or will be taken from us only in the sense that something will be given that is so much better as to make the thing we hoped never to lose as nothing by comparison. That's a good word and carefully put. Thank you, Pastor John. And thanks for listening. We publish this podcast three times per week. And to get our episodes delivered to you, you can subscribe to Ask Pastor John in your favorite podcast app in Spotify or by subscribing to DG's YouTube channel. And to find other episodes in our archive or to submit a question to us of your own, do that online at desiringgod.org forward slash John. That's desiringgod.org forward slash John. The sin of stealing manifests itself in a lot of different ways. It could be looting, or it could be shoplifting, it could be cutting corners at work, or maybe fudging on tax forms. But what is this impulse to steal, this impulse inside of us? What does that say about us? That's the topic we need to address, and we will next time. I'm Tony Ranke. We'll see you back here on Wednesday. Thanks for listening.